Well, hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the T-Druff, the Film Buff Podcast. Been a while since the last episode that I did record, which was the uh, full San Diego Comic-Con recap. This week, it's going to be more of a traditional movie review roundup, except we're going to focus on mainly two movies. So I imagine this uh, show will be a little bit shorter than usual, but um, thought I would uh, recognize a couple movies that I saw recently. Could be, couldn't be more different than each other, but also... Uh, both very, very enjoyable um, entries into to this summer's uh, list of movies that has been, for the most part, I would say disappointing, although um, you know, there's been a couple sleeper hits as well. I know I haven't really talked about it, but Wild Rose was very good. I thought Yesterday was pretty good. Um, the Farewell I saw recently was also very well done, um, but... That's not what we're talking about today. The two movies we will discuss are Hobbs and Shaw and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Hobbs and Shaw. So so let's start out with that one um, because it is just one of the most crazy action movies of all time probably. But you kind of come to expect it, right? Because this is the ninth film in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um and I think it was right for them to actually put Fast and Furious Pre- Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw in the title. I feel like they probably recognized what happened with Bumblebee in December of 2018 when they didn't really put any sort of Transformers name on the title, which I think at that point in time it's kind of a soured brand at this point. Um, the, the Transformers movies have just failed and failed and failed critically um, in terms of audience reviews as well. So. Um, at the time, I thought it was a good decision for them not to include it, but it looks like, in terms of the box office returns, maybe they should have put like Transformers, Bumblebee, something like that. But Bumblebee's a very good movie, so, you know, oh well. But we're talking about Hobbs and Shaw here. It's funny because the movie has probably just enough cars for it to say Fast and Furious Presents, for it to be a Fast and Furious movie without actually um, being a main entry in the series as well. Because... Let's face the facts. Uh, this this series has gone from what they were stealing, like VHS players or VHS movies in the first ones from from cars, um, or from trucks, and and now nine movies in, there's essentially superheroes or supervillains in in this series. Um, I think the moment the series kind of jumped the the, the car, if you will, uh, kind of went from the more grounded approach. Um, to the over-the-top superhero entries that could eventually go to space and probably will eventually go to space um, is not necessarily when they were dragging the, the bank vault across the street in Fast Five, which I thought was hilarious, but also they definitely killed a bunch of people. But I think the moment that it kind of jumped the car, if you will, was when Vin Diesel literally jumped from one car, launched himself across a tollway um, to catch Michelle Rodriguez in the air, landed on another car, and was perfectly fine without any scrapes. That was in Fast and Furious 6, or Furious 6, as I think some of the, the titles, uh, some of the cards call it. So uh, that was the moment when I think this series kind of took off in a different direction. Although clearly from Fast 5 on, it's a totally different movie series than it was from the Fast and the Furious 2 fast and furious which is the fourth movie um 
but it's interesting. I, I think getting putting aside the, the franchise for a second, um, one of the weirdest things about how the Hobbs and Shaw release um, was, in fact, nothing to do with the actual movie itself, was that Christopher Nolan decided um, to release or attach a teaser trailer for Tenant, which is coming out next summer, which I really haven't discussed at all on the podcast. Um, he decided to attach a teaser trailer for Tenant to Hobbs and Shaw. So, you know, that was such a weird decision, especially because it's not a Warner Brothers movie at all. It's a universal film, um, and Tenet is obviously a Warner Brothers movie. The Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are tight. They basically give him as much money as he wants for any particular movie that he wants to do. So I found that really interesting. And, of course, the screening that I saw of Hobbs and Shaw didn't have the trailer at all attached. And, you know, of course, we're at Saturday now, and the trailer still hasn't been released online. So it's like, do I want to see Hobson Shaw again? Risk that the trailer's not attached? You know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, th- that that was a little bit disappointing. But anyway, back to back to the Hobson Shaw movie. Th- this is an insane, uh, ridiculous, stupid, but effortlessly fun ride. Uh, essentially like a buddy cop uh, film where both the cops hate each other, which does happen uh, quite a bit in movies. But, um, you know, you have Luke Hobbs, Deckard Shaw, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham, respectively. Um, Both have been in the series for quite a few years now, um, but this time essentially teaming up together, although they did kind of do that in The Fate of the Furious, Fate of the Furious, um, but that was kind of more... I feel like Mr. Nobody kind of had something on Deckard Shaw in that one. I can't even remember why he agreed to join. There must have been something. He was he was giving him a pardon or something. Was that what it was? I'm not sure. Uh, but this this is more of a straight up team up, um, and and it's it. I can't tell you how fun it is just watching them sit in a room together, looking each other in the face, and just exchanging endless amounts of insults to each other. Um. I mean, you you got to imagine that a lot of it is probably improvised, especially on The Rock's part. I feel like The Rock does a, a solid job, you'd think, of improvising many lines. I think at the end of Fast and Furious 6 was that one line, uh, was it the baby oil line or something like that, uh, what he said to Tyrese Gibson um, right at the end there of the movie and the ludicrous, I think in real life, does a spit take, uh, which they kept in the movie, of course. Um, so... I think that that's, um, you know, that's one of the main strengths of the movie, of course. You bring on someone like Vanessa Kirby uh, to the story as well, who just kind of coming had her coming out party, yes, with The Crown on Netflix, but I think in Mission Impossible 6, Fallout uh, last summer was kind of when people kind of started to recognize her. That, that's when I started to recognize her for sure. And she is awesome in this movie. It's, it's like, it's not only Hobbs, it's like Hobbs and Shaw and Shaw, because she is really just as much a part of the movie as they are um and it's almost more her story than their story at times um and i i kind of compare it to and i know i just mentioned mission impossible but i kind of compare her um resurgence here in this movie to like rebecca ferguson in in mission impossible rogue nation just that like out of nowhere this actress is absolutely incredible um surprise hit uh, and i would assume that she's going to get many 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 more offers to come for big budget movies think about rebecca ferguson i mean this year she began with uh being the villain in 
the kid who would be king, which is such a different role for her, especially being a kid's movie. Pretty good. It's a smaller role, but she was good in it. Then you had her uh, in Men in Black International, of course. Another small role. You'd think that they would use utilize her uh, in, a, in a bigger way in that movie. Of course, she does also play an antagonist in that movie as well. Uh, and then you have, at the end of this year, um, Dr. Sleep, where she plays Rose the Hat. So I can't wait to see her play... Uh, that sort of antagonist, or at least I believe it's an antagonist. So three villains in one year for her. Um, that's Rebecca Ferguson. I would love to see Vanessa Kirby kind of go on the same sort of path, uh, especially because she she really stays toe to toe with with, uh, with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and and Statham in this movie. So what a, another casting choice that I would have liked to see in Hobbs and Shaw that I know was rumored for a while. Uh, was the addition of Jason Momoa as one of the Rock's brothers in the movie. You know, of course, they do eventually go home to Samoa, um, and his brother, or the main brother, is at least played by Cliff Curtis, who's a a decent actor. It's just, I feel like it would have been even more special if it was Jason Momoa. Maybe he didn't sign on because it was too small of a role. I don't know. you got to imagine if they would have signed him on, they would have made that role bigger, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um... But I think at, at this point, I mean, the, the movie that I saw, two hours and 15 minutes, is probably 10 to 15 minutes too long. So any more expanding of the, 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 the script or the, what they filmed would probably feel even more like too much. Um, but again, it's like, you know, what do you expect going into this movie? You expect to be entertained, have a nice popcorn, summer popcorn vibe the whole time, insane action, ridiculous set pieces that just feel like complete cgi green screens but at the same time they work like i i'm not sure how they work sometimes nothing will probably be as bad as the green screen used in triple x um when they're getting off the aircraft there i'm not sure if you know anybody's really seen that movie let's be honest that series is complete garbage but um but i mean i'll take it you know like anything in hobbs and shaw that's entertain it's as entertaining of action as we get i mean just like it the slow motion punches we get you know when they're on Samoa it goes from like dusk to dawn to then daylight to then dark and raining in a matter of probably 10 minutes of screen time and it's not really explained in the movie but you know you just kind of accept it because it's freaking fast and furious and um, you know what, what what can you really want out of these type of movies but it's also worth mentioning the cameos that that happened in this movie and full spoilers here but the two cameos that completely took me by surprise especially because when i heard that there were a couple cameos in the movie i just expected oh it's probably just you know it's not gonna be vin diesel but maybe it's tyree skipson or maybe it's ludicrous or maybe it's michelle rodriguez or even luke evans as owen shaw you know that that sort of thing i had no idea that they actually got ryan reynolds and kevin hart to do brief little cameo scenes um which were pretty fun on its own. I think the Kevin Hart scene probably wanted to be funnier than it actually was, but I still laughed a couple times. I think the Ryan Reynolds stuff was really, really good as well. But for some reason, I can't totally see him um, being a full member of the the team, you know, in the future. He did, some reason, I, I, I'm not envisioning Ryan Reynolds to be, you know, future Fast and Furious, big team, let's go recruit the, the, the guys type of... Uh, you know, character. I don't know. We'll see. But Kevin Hart, I can actually see because he he just fits in with The Rock in any sort of scene or any movie that he does. Um, what are they doing? Their fourth movie together now with Jumanji three. 
Next Level, which also looks pretty good. Do have some worries about that movie, but it looks pretty good. Um, it really, like, what, what is the future? Because there's really not much to discuss in Hobbs and Shaw other than the fact that you know the cast is great, Idris is great uh, as the the villain Briggs. Um, he is a badass for sure. Uh, the movie just gets a little too long at points. There's a little too many like last big boss battles with with Idris Elba. So I don't know. But what what you, like I just asked like what what is the future of this franchise? Because you know we know we're getting Fast and Furious Nine next summer. I hope they just kind of call it Fast Nine. I like the short titles that they have. I don't need any long The Fate of the Furious. You know whatever we got there. Uh, and and we believe or at least we're led to believe that the rock is not in fast nine um so you kind of imagine that maybe maybe you have hobbs and shaw you have fast nine maybe you get a hobbs and shaw two in like 2022 and then maybe 2023 is finally when they wrap it up with fast 10 and that's like the team versus team type of thing i don't know i don't know and you also have the the mystery of the the voice behind the the, the villainous you know Briggs, you know, Briggs is always reporting to this team of tech people, whatever you want to call them, and there's always a voice that's kind of, it's kind of, you know, they're almost invoking the, the Emperor stuff in this movie, uh, from the Star Wars movies, and just kind of, hear you hear the voice, it's muffled, you know, it's modulated, but you don't know who it is. For a while, I thought in the movie that was going to be one of the cameos, and it was going to be Charlize Theron. Um, from the the last Fast and Furious movie, she was one of the villains. She was a tech-based villain as well. So I kind of just figured that that fit with Briggs, and maybe she was behind all of it again, but maybe not. I, I you know I don't know where the franchise goes from here. I'm not sure. I would assume we're going to get a Hobson shot too if this makes enough money, which I gotta believe it will. Uh, but we'll see. So that's enough Hobson Shaw. I think it's probably around an eight out of ten. It's probably you know I would. If I just off the top of my head ranked them, I would say Fast Five is number one, Furious Seven number two, Fast and Furious Six number three, Fate of the Furious number four, Hobbs and Shaw Five, the original The Fast and Furious number six, um, uh, what's it, what, the Fast and Furious number seven, which is the fourth movie, number eight would be Too Fast Too Furious, and number nine is Tokyo Drift. You know, clearly those two are the worst, but. I digress. That's my ranking. Let's go into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because uh, clearly the the better movie out of the two, but I thought it was funny to kind of just do a combined spoiler review because they're just so different. Um, I did get a chance to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a second time, and I just think it kind of further um, fuels what I said the first time about this movie is that this is really Brad Pitt's movie. Brad Pitt absolutely steals the show. Yes, it is a movie about friendship with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. It's not necessarily a movie about the Manson murders at all, although a lot of people are kind of reporting that it is. This is a movie about friendship. Um, it's about what you kind of go through when, when with your friend when you know, one is past his prime, the other one's still trying to hold on, um, and you know how your, your own job can get in your way of your friendship. Um, your wants and needs, maybe you know your own personal life gets in front, get, gets in the way of the friendship. But I, I think this movie is absolutely magnificent. It's one of the best films of the year so far. Um, Quentin Tarantino, you know, everybody gets excited when they hear that he's directing a new movie. Of course, he had like five, six different studios bidding for this movie. Um, it was something I think it came down to with Sony how they got it that uh, they gave him 
the rights to the movie after 10 to 15 years or something like that. So I'm not sure. I mean, I know that, you know, having the rights to your own movie makes, you know, it hard for the studios to ever want to do a sequel, which I don't really think they would ever do a sequel to this movie. But also like the proceeds, you know, that sort of thing. All the profits go back to Tarantino eventually instead of uh, the studios getting a cut. So, but it, it, what I was going to say, though, is that the, the, the time period here is really, you know, where I absolutely fall in love with the movie. It's two hours and 40 minutes, but I could I could live in this time period, in this era of Hollywood for so long. I just love the way Tarantino shoots it. I love how much time he takes uh, for each scene. Of course, that could bother some people, which is why it's kind of getting a B uh, cinema score, I believe. Is it, just, it definitely is... If we're going by length, I think it probably is a little bit too long. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Tarantino, if he wants to shoot a four-hour movie, let him shoot a four-hour movie. Like, Kill Bill probably should be a one, uh, one four-hour cut, but, you know, that studio's getting in the way, right? So, um, you know, Brad steals the movie. Let's see, what else do I got here down in the notes? Love the time period. Oh, Margaret Qualley. Absolute. I mean, if Brad Pitt's, if this is Brad Pitt's movie, the second best character in the movie is played by Margaret Qualley, and I believe her character's name is Pussycat, one of the Manson family um, entourage, if you will, um, that just kind of haunts the movie in the background. But her character is just kind of this charming, um, eccentric, uh, kind of off-kilter uh, woman who we believe is 16 17 she doesn't really give her actual age um but she's kind of you know asking brad pitt for a ride for most of the movie and he finally gives it to her takes her back to the the ranch uh and of course the, the spawn movie ranch where george spawn is just kind of chilling there and that's one of the most kind of dreadful and, and tense scenes of the movie of course it doesn't really amount to anything that's consequential um but there's certainly a massive sense of dread when you see the, the scene for the first time. Um, the second time, of course, it's a little bit slower. You just kind of enjoy the ride, enjoy the Brad Pitt. Uh, just beats the crap out of that one bum, that one hippie. Um, and actually, you know what? I should mention Tex, played by Austin Butler, who I had some you know worries about beforehand because... He played a side character on Arrow for about five or six episodes. And maybe it was just the, the way the character was written, but he was absolutely awful. I hated that character so much. I, I wanted him off the show. Uh, so I was glad to see he was actually pretty dang good in this movie. It's like one of the leaders of the Manson family, especially on the ranch and then, of course, near the end. But uh, So I, I was really happy to see that. Just the overall aesthetic of the movie, the, the cinematography Again, the way Tarantino and his DP shoot uh, the movie. That I love that scene with Brad Pitt on the roof, just kind of chilling there in the sun. It's just like that is just great, just film work there. Just great camera work and how he kind of uh, thinks of what that scene could be with Kurt Russell and if Leo actually asks him. Um, and then of course he gets in the fight with Bruce Lee, which we kind of later find out that that's kind of not actually happening in real time either that was a flashback or that was just him imagining it uh, i do love that scene as well and i love zoe bell kind of interrupting that scene you know of course the famous stunt double to with thurman in the kill bill movies love zoe bell she's fantastic um 
But again, it, one of the things I was hearing going into is like, you need to know more about the Manson family, the Manson murders. Like, no, you don't. You sure, you know who Sharon Tate is. You know who Charles Manson is. Um, and that's really about it. Like, and the great thing about this movie, too, is that like Margot Robbie is a perfect Sharon Tate. Of course, she just plays that uh, innocent, you know, at times klutz, uh, but also just very, very charming and charismatic actress that Sharon Tate was. Uh, she plays her brilliantly, but it's also like, you know, Tarantino, this is clearly a love letter to Sharon Tate. It's not like, it's not trying to make fun of her. It's not trying to ruin her legacy. Uh, clearly a love letter to Sharon Tate, especially his choice at the end of the movie to not kill her. Uh, clearly, clearly he, he had a thing uh, for her movies and he just kind of wanted to, to, you know, to write her character differently than, than what we might come to expect. So, um, and I think one of the main things I wasn't a huge fan of, I liked the scenes, and I liked them better the first time, I think. The second time going through, I was kind of just like, okay, let's just let's get through it, is the acting scenes with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Back when he's actually in the TV show or in the movie. Like when he's when he's talking to, uh, what's her name, uh, Julia Butters, I believe the actress is, the, the, the young eight- or nine-year-old actress that's kind of helping him through the scene. Though That scene is great. It's great. Um, and when he's talking to Al Pacino about acting, like that, all that stuff is great. But I think when he's actually in the show or when they're watching him in the show or in the movies, it's just a little bit slower. You know, it's just naturally the way the story's told, it's a little bit slower. Um, so I could do maybe with a little bit less of that next time. Um, and, and, you know, does... Like, how does this rank against the other Tarantino movies, right? So, to me, my favorite Tarantino movies, and we're just kind of combine them into one, it would be Kill Bill. And then you have, like, Pulp Fiction. Then you have something like Django. And then there's kind of a step down, and then there's, you know, a little a little bit step down to Glorious Bastards, um, then The Hateful Eight, um, Reservoir Dogs. It's just not, not a huge fan of that one. i got to revisit it, though. I saw it when I was young. So we'll see. I still haven't seen Jackie Brown. Still haven't seen Death Proof. Um, I believe that's probably it with his filmography. I don't think I missed anything else. But uh, and, and the other thing is, like, does he actually end with ten movies? Like, does he? This is the ninth film. Does he actually, actually end um, at ten movies? Is it the Star Trek movie? Does he actually direct that? Um, or does he just produce it, and then that's how he gets around making 10 movies? I know he has a TV series in the works. I can't remember who's attached to that. It's not DiCaprio, but it's somebody else uh, big, I'm pretty sure. It's like a Western TV series. It's a little vignettes, kind of like uh, uh, what the Coen brothers did with uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs last year. So I don't think, I, I kind of doubt he ends up with 10 movies. I would imagine that he does 10 movies maybe he takes a break and then he comes back in 10 years you know there's no way he he lives on this earth for 30 more years he doesn't direct anything or 40 more years however old he is um i haven't even mentioned how amazing those last 15 20 minutes are of the movie that's when like the the tarantino chaos just comes out you know we saw it in hateful eight of course there's plenty of it in kill bill Django has a lot of it uh, when they're when they're at leo's house there um I mean, Leo brings out the flamethrower. Uh, Brad Pitt is beating up everybody. Brandy the dog is biting people through the bone. Uh, you know, Brad Pitt's throwing the dog food in the girl's face. Uh, oh, God, it's just so brilliant. 
brilliantly comedic time. Like I love the one shot after Brad Pitt gets tackled through the, the little table by the one redhead, uh, and there's kind of that slow pan from his face down to his thigh where the knife is, back up to his face. And he's just like, oh, okay, just got a knife in my side. Like that's what he's thinking, you know, in that moment. Uh, I love the the slow, slowly building scenes of him seeing text there in his house and then laughing about it. Uh, I think that that was hilarious. Um, I mean, it's just so... Oh, and then the, the scene when DiCaprio first sees them pull up and he's yelling at him and you're like, are they going to shoot DiCaprio in his own driveway here? Like, what's going on here? I love when you see Maya Hawk. You're like, oh, I forgot my knife in the car and then she just drives off. Like, I love that little cameo by Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's kid kind of bringing the Kill Bill Uma Thurman relationship full circle, which, by the way, I would love to see Kill Bill 3, which I guess would be not titled Kill Bill anymore because she did kill Bill. Um, and, of course, that scene is capped off by the fact that Brad Pitt is smoking a cigarette that's dipped in acid. Uh, it's just, it's classic. It's absolutely classic. That's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's Hobbs and Shaw. That's the recap. What are we going to do next week? Well, I would imagine I kind of want to go back to doing a top 10 list, maybe. Uh, we'll see what we do. I think The Art of Racing in Rain is coming out. Maybe we'll do a top 10 list around that. Maybe it'll be around the top 10 list of dogs in movies. I kind of just want to, I kind of want to do that, especially after seeing Brandy kick some ass uh, in this movie, Fantastic Pitbull. That's it. That's the show. Until next time, thanks.